it's been great to be part of this uh, series uh, together. And I'm finishing her up now in Ephesians 6, um, without giving a whole recap on the whole five verses or the whole four, six chapters. It's actually pointless. But to, 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 to sum it really up in, in, in a couple of little words, the first three chapters of Ephesians, are laying, Paul had been laying the foundations of our faith. Uh, it's, it's our founda- the foundations of our faith have been built on, it says, the apostles and the prophets. Uh, in Ephesians 2, I think it is, 20, and in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, it says that we've been created in Christ Jesus to, to, for good works and to walk with him. And, and, and so so the, the first three chapters are really laying the foundations of our faith in Christ, and, and, and then the remaining three are kind of building on that. So, so here's the practical things now, get rid of and you know, put on the old, put, get rid of the old, put on the new. Just little things with that, the very practicalities of our Christian faith. And Paul here in Ephesians 6, uh, he just, you know, encourages, it's a final word of encouragement, uh, living out our faith. And, and just here in these last few, it's, it's just really an encouragement to the believers. He says, right, therefore, now a final word of encouragement and after and all of this and all of what you've heard or what you've seen what i've done what we've what, what we've been through just there's one last thing i want you to do so i'm going to go through it hopefully not too quick because there is quite a bit in it but um before we go any further because it's the, it's the, it's the armor of god it's the the helmet of salvation the belt of truth there's six kind of items that we want to look at we're not going to understand it all we're not going to grasp it all but at least if you can touch on certain things in it Hopefully it will resonate, some things will resonate with us. But before we go any further, let's just bow our heads and commit the next few minutes into the Lord's hands. Father, again, it's been such an honor to, to go through the book of Ephesians, Lord God, to learn from it, to glean from it. And Father, we are asking, oh God, even as we go through this next few verses, eight verses, Lord God, looking at the armor you have told us to put on, Father, that you'll help us. We, we may not grasp all of it and fully understand all of it, but, Father, even one portion of it, Lord God, one morsel of bread from your table, Lord God, is enough to sustain us. And so, Father, we are asking that you will give us an ear to hear what you would say to us this morning, Lord God, as your word goes out uh, and the seed gets sown into our hearts, that it will achieve and accomplish the purpose you send it for. It will bring forth much fruit in our lives. Father, I'm asking that you will anoint me to preach your word, to speak it with clarity, with wisdom, with understanding. And again, oh God, give us an ear to hear, not what I'm saying, but what you are saying. And Father, may our spirits, Lord God, be awake and aware, Lord God, to what you want to do in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Ephesians 6, 10 through to 18. I'm not going to read it all, but you'll follow through. So verse 10 says, a final word. So after all what he said in the, in the first kind of five, he says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So who are we talking about here? The devil and his demons, the demonic forces that rule the earth with one goal, to steal, kill, and destroy, and to attack the Christian and hinder the advancement of the church. Verse 13 then says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So as Christians, there has to be a realization for us that we have got an adversary, that we have got somebody that is out to try and hinder us and stop us in our tracks. The Bible tells us that we're not 
to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. You know what? To be gentle as doves and shrewd as serpents. So there has to be an awareness of, you know, the life we're in plus the life we're living. And that there's an opposition to that. An enemy who is out to hinder us, to slow us down, to trip us up and persuade us to remain stuck. To stuck in a place of fear, anxiety, insecurity, shame, guilt. Stuck in a place where we're still riddled with unforgiveness, bitterness, anger. All of these things we looked at in chapter 4. And, 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 and the enemy wants us to remain here, to stay in these places. But rather, and to prevent us moving into the life that Christ has for us. Christ says that it's life in all of its fullness that he wants for us. It's a life filled with hope, with peace, with freedom, with, with all of these things. It's a full life that God has for us, that Christ wants us to live out. And the devil will do everything within his power to stop that life. Twice he says, and Paul says in verse 13, you will. He says, see there, verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Here is a promise and a guarantee that every piece of God's armor will enable us to resist the devil in the day of evil. And in the next few verses then, we learn that God has given us the resources, and we'll look at that now in a, in a few minutes, and the weapons to win against the attacks, schemes, and strategies of the enemy. And he uses... So Paul had been... A missionary. He'd been traveled kind of all over different parts of Asia and Europe. And, and on a number of occasions, he had been kind of arrested, stoned and beaten, shipwrecked and all these things. And on one particular occasion, he got arrested and there was a plot then to kill him. So he decided to appeal to Caesar, which meant he had to go to Rome to stand before Caesar. And so on this journey to Rome, we read about it in Acts 28, I think it is, the shipwreck and he makes it to Rome. And, but while he's in Rome, he has this, uh, uh, he's chained to a Roman guard. It was said, I don't know how true this is, so we, please don't take it as gospel, but it was said of Paul that the guards had to be changed every two hours because they were getting saved. And so Paul had been chained to a guard and these Roman guards, and every two hours, legend has it, if you want to have a legend, legend has it that the guards had to be changed every two hours because they were getting saved. But Paul seeing the Roman army in that sense, seeing the Roman soldier, and he had a visual of what he looked like. And the visual that Paul had was the physical armor that these put on. And again, he uses the visual to illustrate physically how we can uh, equip ourselves spiritually with such things as we're going to see now. I mean, he begins with our first, uh, you call it a weapon of warfare, a defensive weapon. But he says in verse 14, uh, he said, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the first piece of armor he gives us is the belt of truth. A soldier in the beginning of the first century would prepare for battle uh, by first clothing himself in a large tunic of loose clothing. Since they often fought hand to hand, a loose tunic then was potential hazard because it was loose. And the fact that you're fighting another soldier hand to hand combat, it was fight. So the belt geared everything together. The belt, it tied everything together and it prevented any hindrances from tripping up the soldier. And so the belt of truth for us prevents any hindrances from tripping up the Christian soldier in that sense. You see, we can enter into a relationship with Jesus and have a passionate relationship with him. But if we haven't got the truth at the forefront of our minds and at the core of our faith, we will be swayed 
by every wind of doctrine the Bible tells us and distracted by every new thing that is said or every lie that is told. There will never be any stability, peace or freedom unless we have the belt of truth firmly buckled around our waist. The Bible tells us that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now the Jewish people their tradition was, so you go back to the time of Moses, when Moses was given the first five books, which we know as being called the Torah or the law. And then in the book of Joshua, uh, he, he, God gives him the command to meditate on these words. Don't let them away from your lips and, and keep them and carry them and meditate. So there was a tradition, and there still is a tradition today, we're in the Jewish sect, that they, uh, they, they memorize scripture to beat the band. They, like, they memorize books of the Bible. They memorize the Torah. They memorize all of these things that we only kind of glance through from time to time. They memorize these, but it was, it was a, a tradition that they had. You know, God gave Moses the law and that they would put everything together and strategically, they were, what they were doing in a sense was memorizing a system. So God had given them a law a set of rules and regulations. In a sense, they began to study a system of rules and regulations to familiarize themselves with God. And I know I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I first got saved, I used to read the Bible because I would have heard of things such as, say, David and Goliath or S Samson and, and Delilah, David, Bathsheba, the Ten Commandments. I would have known about these things from school days. And so when I first got saved, I'd, be, I'd purposely re read these scriptures just to familiarize myself with God. And these people were doing the very same. So there's nothing wrong in a sense of what you're doing. You're familiarizing themselves with God and with the heart of God. But somewhere along the line, they lost sight of the truth about God. And in the Gospel of John, the Pharisees were commended by Jesus for a diligent study. He says, you diligently study the scriptures. But he says, you fail to see me in these scriptures. You fail to see, you're diligently studying. Because like, word, God's word is true. What we read in God's word is literal history. It's, what, it's the foundations of our faith. It is true what happened with David. It is true what happened with Moses. It is true what happened with Daniel. All of these things, the exodus, the, 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 the into captivity, the return to the land, all of these things are true and they can be found. There's documentation outside of the Bible as well. You see, we can read the Bible and what we're reading is true. But sometimes as Christians, we can miss the truth of the Bible. So for example, it is true that David killed Goliath. But the truth is that God can use one man to take down an enemy, no matter how big he is. It is true that David had an affair and had the husband killed to try and cover up his sin. But the truth is that when we confess our sins, God is merciful and just to forgive our sins. And we see that in the life of David. It is true that when God called Gideon, he was terrified and full of insecurities. But the truth is that God used him to take down a mighty army. It is true that Peter was a sinful, uneducated man. But the truth is that God still used him to build his church. Now, there may be many things or certain things that are true about you, but the truth is that God is able to do, according to his power that works within us, to do immeasurably more all we ask, think, or imagine. So it's not about what's being spoken over your lives, and, and some of those things may be true, but there's another truth that we need to lay hold of, and this is the truth that sets us free, and this is the truth that we need buckled around our waist. Number two, the blessed plate of righteousness, the second part of Verse 14 says, with the, blessed, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the breastplate was usually a tough, sleeveless piece of leather or heavy material 
covering the soldier's full torso that protected the heart and the vital organs. In battle, obviously, soldiers were trained to aim or make a strike for the torso in particular to target the heart, so that would just completely take out the opposition. And the breastplate, or the body armor, protects the most important organs of our bodies, the heart, the lung, all of these kind of things, which is the core of our being, the central and most important part of our lives. The word... The world, I should say, will tell us that we're to go after our heart's desires. In other words, whatever you desire to be or do, go for it and don't let anyone stop you. It will tell us that, well, we can have our own truth, a truth that is relevant to you and that anyone who, poses, who opposes that truth can be cancelled. This is what society is telling us today. It's rampant in our society today and it would seem that what is being called right and righteous is being called wrong. Uh, Satan aims to attack the very core. See, 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 Jesus wants our heart. He says, love me with all of your heart. You know, so he wants our, so it's, we're not talking of the physical heart here. So in terms of the breastplate of righteousness, it was protecting the physical heart. Paul is obviously telling us there's a spiritual element to this as well. Uh, we may not come up against Roman soldiers in our time. I hope we don't. But we have, a, we have an enemy that will want to come up after us. And so for the heart of the Christian, it's a seat of Christ because he knows that if Satan can poison our hearts, then he can snatch our faith and rob us of the full life that God has for us. And what we are witnessing today in this generation, in some sense, is nothing new. It's, 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 it's happened many, many years ago as well, uh, even, even throughout just different generations. In Isaiah 59, I, just, I, just, I felt just to say this and just to kind of read through it, just to give us a real uh, understanding of where we are today and why we need this breastplate of righteousness to, to protect our hearts. But in Isaiah 59, verse 14 and 15, it says this. Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. Now, does that not sound like our society today? But then in verse 17, talking about Jesus, this is Isaiah, this is probably 500 years before, so you're probably talking two and a half thousand years ago. So the relevance of scripture today is it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty obvious. Then in verse 17 of the same chapter, it said, talking about Jesus, he says, he put on righteousness as his body armor and placed a helmet of salvation on, him, on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Verse 18 says, he will repay, again speaking of Jesus, his enemies for their evil deeds, and his fury will fall on all of his foes. Folks, the only thing we've got to do when we put on the armor, God does the fighting for us. And God has already won the battle for us in the, in the, in the fact that Christ has died, has lived and died for us. So for us to be equipped with the breastplate of righteousness, it's simply to pour on Christ and to be in right standing with him. I think it's Romans 5, verse 1. It says, we have this peace with God because of what he's done. So we've already got peace. And again, what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is putting on and putting off. It's just putting on. We grew up this morning. We got our best clothes on. We put our aftershave on, whatever it was. We put our gel in. We've done all those things. It's the very same principle is true for our spiritual lives. We put on Christ, and when we step out into the... Uh, into this world, we know that we're stepping out in faith. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Our faith in Christ. I think it was Abraham, when God called Abraham, 
Genesis 12 maybe, and he called him to leave his land and to go to a land that I will show you. But he gives Abraham a beautiful promise. He says, for I will be your shield and your very great reward. So God is our shield first and foremost. And what did it say of Abraham? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So folks, we don't have to understand what we're reading from day to day, from time to time. We just have to believe that if God be for me, who can be against me? And it's an application of this all in faith. The shoes of peace. Verse 15 says, And which are feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The ancient soldiers wore boots with stud-like nails in them to grip the ground in combat. And it gave them a stability and a foothold for a readiness to fight. Remember, the scripture tells us that we're not to give the devil a foothold. So when we make a habit of reading God's word, we allow the gospel to get a foothold in our lives. And with that comes, remember we says uh, when the devil tries to get a foothold in your, and remember years ago, maybe as kids, we kind of playing about and someone trying to lock you out of the room and you get your foot in the door and there's no way they're going to close you. You get your knee in you're, and you're, you're able to force your way into that room. It's the very same principle that when the devil gets a foothold in our lives, if we don't deal with it there and then, resentment will come in. Bitterness will come in, and all of a sudden we open up the floodgates for all sorts of stuff to come in. But the very same principle is true when we allow the gospel to get a foothold in our lives. Peace will come in. Joy will come in. And then it just opens up the floodgates for God to do what he wants to do. So having our feet fitted with the gospel of peace gives us an image that as we travel and walk through this life, we bring with us the good news of great joy to all people. So we carry a message of hope to a dying world. Uh, in Romans 10, 13 and 15, it says this, uh, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? How then can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You may not have thought at the time, but hindsight will tell us that it was a beautiful day when somebody shared the gospel with us. Now, I do remember when I first heard the gospel, and it wasn't a beautiful day, because I slagged the person, and I said, oh, that's not for me. And I was quickly humbled over the course of time. But I know now, hindsight will tell me, no, it was a beautiful day when somebody brought the gospel message to me, when somebody brought to me good news and glad tidings, just like we all say at Christmas uh, about the gospel. And, you know, I think it's in Luke where it says, I bring you good news with glad tidings. That's going to be great joy for all men. And so we have that now. Our shoes, our feet ought to be fitted with the gospel of peace to hear that good news. So let us be prayed. It says in Colossians, in and out of season to share the gospel and the good news with others. Uh, number four, the shield of faith. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. No soldier in their right mind would leave for battle without a shield. Unless they were on a suicide mission, no soldier would leave without their shield. Uh, the shield gave a soldier security, it gave them protection, it gave them confidence, and it helped them advance against the enemy. And no shield, there was no moving forward. No moving forward, no taking back the ground. Because the enemy is always trying to advance, and we are the one who is advancing. The gates of hell will not prevail because we are the one who is advancing against the enemy. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Gladiator, but there's a scene in the, in the film, I think it's towards the end, where they're in the Colosseum, and 
and Russell Crowe was there, and he's, he's leading a little army of soldiers against those that are coming out to try and kill them. Anyway. But they have all their shields. The shield was probably about four foot long, two foot wide, but you've got a row of people kind of circling, and they got their shield up, and then you've got people that are behind them have their shield up. So there's a complete shield of protection around them, and it's, and it's utilized. Utilized well, it will... It, it will disarm and, 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 and kind of knock out the enemy. So there's a scene in that, in that, in that movie where um, uh, they're in their circle and they have the shield about them and, uh, and there's a chariot coming towards them and the chariot is going to try and run them over but it flips the chariot over and all of a sudden now they have the upper hand and, and they're getting the crowd on their back and stuff like that. But the shield of faith uh, operates with best together. And even in this sermon series of being together, in, uh, in, 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 as a church, uh, as a community, as family, whatever that may be, when we operate well together and operate our faith together, God is able to do immeasurably more each, or uh, than we can ask, think, or imagine. But each, each soldier, Paul says, take up their own shield to face the battle. I can't take it up for you. You can't take it up for me. Uh, it's to protect themselves and others too. Well, in, in some measure we can. Like, you know, I, I come to the Lord every morning. I pray for the kids. I pray for our family. Pray for things like that. Like, and we do all that in faith. And then when the kids are going out, if they're in town, and because you see things, what's going on in the news, and just random attacks, you're always saying, Lord, I pray I lead your blood over their lives and prayer protection. You're always doing these things in faith. And I do believe God hears our prayers. But faith, the Bible tells us, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So nobody knows what a day holds. Yeah, so every time we step out and face the day, we step out in faith, knowing that God is our shield and that he has our backs. Verse or number five, the helmet of salvation. Verse 17 then just says, simply says, take the helmet of salvation. So again, here we have the responsibilities of take up your shield of faith, put on the belt of truth, all these kind of things. So there's a responsibility on us. I can't do it for you, you can't do it for me. But take up the helmet of salvation. Again, the responsibility of our thought life, what we watch, what we listen to, engage in, and surround ourselves with. It, it will lie with us. It, it, the responsibility will land on us. Romans 12, verse 2. I know Alan read earlier on, but in the New Living Translation, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. As Christians, and as especially as adults, parents and husbands, wives, we must take responsibility for what we are allowing to enter into our minds, our hearts, and our homes. And again, I said it a couple of weeks ago, it's what we watch, what we listen to, can easily trigger something in us and cause us to be, oh, wobbled or whatever it may be. I do remember years ago uh, when the kids were an awful lot younger. And so we never had a, a conventional way of saying, right, we've got kids now. How are we going to raise them according to God's standards and the Bible and the Christian way of life? and all? We never actually examined that and looked at that. We just kind of thought, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> we'll just kind of take it. And whatever bridge we, we need to cross, we'll cross. And so we never, like, you know, we brought them to church. We're in Sunday school. So we never had that kind of conventional way of, 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 of training the kids. And, and so as I remember being in work one time and, and, um, and, uh, and one of the lads who, uh, he wasn't a Christian, he was just saying, so, so you won't be going out uh, doing trick-or-treating. It was a Halloween. He says, you won't be going out doing trick-or-treating on Halloween. And he says, because that's all the darkness and all that. Now, I'd never dawned him. He says, actually, no, I won't, because we don't celebrate darkness, we celebrate light. And, uh, and I just kind of, it was just having a conversation with someone just gave me a bit of a, an insight into it. 
And, um, and so anyway, Halloween had kind of was coming up and, and then the kids, we never really, like, they were at a young age and so, like, how do you tell them about dark stuff at that age and you don't want to frighten the life out of them either. And so there's all these things we're kind of wrestling with. And, um, and so they brought these pictures home from, from school, the paintings of, of witches and, and ghosts and do all these kind of haunted things and all that kind of stuff. And they wanted to hang them up in the sitting room and the kitchen and all that. And they were saying, look, how can you say no to them? You know, like, you don't want to break their hearts and all that. So he said, no, we don't really celebrate that. And we don't really, we're trying to explain it as best we could. And anyway, they weren't having any of it. And so I'll tell you what we do then. We won't put them downstairs, but if you want to hang them up and you want to kind of celebrate it, put them in your bedroom. And, and we trust, you know, that we, we trust God and, and we'll just we'll see what happens from there. Next night, the next night, the next night, the next night. Nightmare after nightmare after nightmare after nightmare the kids start having. And so I kind of thought, here's an opportunity. I said, kids, remember we had a chat with you? Remember we told you we don't celebrate dark because we celebrate the light and all that? Maybe if you put those, take those posters down and you put them in the bin, and you kind of renounce, we weren't saying renounce, use that word, but you kind of put away evil, that kind of stuff, and then we're going to pray for you, and then we'll pray for uh, your bedroom and all that. And so they did, and, you know, it was, it was a real little example, a little, little illustration for them. We prayed for them, we anointed them, we anointed our rooms, and we'd done all these things. We had a little bit of worship going in, in the rooms, and sure enough, the next day then, they were, like, right as rain. And, and, and so, it was, so we never had this way, but like, we were aware. And, and, and there, I don't think there is a certain way, this is how you should be, that's how you should be. I know some maybe don't have kids yet, you're planning for kids. Uh, don't panic. You know, God will lead us and God will guide us. But it's having this awareness of, you know, our, 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 our different things about us, the helmet of salvation, knowing we don't, we don't know what to do all the time. But when we do need, when we will not, when we need to know what we need to know, God will tell us what we need to know. Amen. Anyway, I think this is the last one, the sword of the spirit, number six, which is, it says, the word of God. The word has been described as living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It's our offensive weapon to be used in the war against the devil. And this is how we resist the devil, by speaking the word of God and the promises of God. It worked for Jesus, so why wouldn't it work for us? Let's just make it very, very simple, folks. Don't try and complicate, oh, what's it saying? That is it saying something else? No, if it worked for Jesus, it will work for us. This is how we resist the devil, by speaking Maybe if you can memorize it. Maybe if you get familiarized yourself with it. Now, I remember there's a story in the Bible when this happened and that happened. No, Lord, you've done it for David. You've done it for them. You've done it for them. Surely you're going to do it for me because I'm no different. You call them just like you call me. And that's how I bring this back. Bring it really, really simple. Uh, just bring it back to the basics. We ought to be equipped with the word, sharpening our knowledge and understanding of the word. And we have to take it up. I can't take it up and read it for Cynthia or read it for Candy. I can't do that. You can't do it for me. I have got to be responsible for what I allow into my life. And again, for me, just keeping it really, really simple. I didn't understand it. Sometimes when I read it even now, I still don't understand it. But I know it's true. I know it's living and active. And I know it speaks of Jesus. And I know it's, it's, it's an imperishable seed that if I allow it in here and invite it in here, it will produce what God sends it for. We need to learn how to use it so that we can yield it, or wield I should say, uh, when we need to, especially when we are ex ex experiencing an, an attack from the enemy. I think it is in Isaiah 49. Uh, I will use my own words now with this, Isaiah 49 verse 2, and it basically says that you make my mouth like that of a skillful sword fella. 
that's not the right words, but you get what I'm saying. A skillful kind of swordsman, but it says in Isaiah 49, verse 2, it says that you will make my mouth like that of a skillful sword. And so God is able to do what we cannot do. God gives us the ability to do what we cannot do. And God is able to protect us where we cannot protect ourselves. We may not fully understand every aspect of this armor of God. We may not fully be able to grasp it and lay hold of it. And, and, but we do, what we do know is that God has given us the resources. God has given us the weapons. God has given us the tools to just simply put on, walk with him, and watch him do the battle. I'm going to maybe ask the worship team to come back. and just want to close out because our last slide is, is verse 18, and it just simply says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. One scripture says, Pray without ceasing. In other words, we have to stay in constant communication with God. Constant communication with God. That doesn't have to be constantly on your knees. I often, when I grew up in the morning and I'm walking about and I'm praying, and then I realize, well, I need to do something. When the kids are in school, you're getting up, you're dropping to the school, or you're coming back, you have to make a phone call, you have to do something else. And then you're going to the shops, you're, you're mindful of God. You're mindful of where you are. You're mindful that God's presence is with you. And it's staying in constant communication with God. With this in mind, it says, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. That's the church. That's the church being together. Satan understands the power of the church united together. He knows that the church is rising up to stamp out evil in this world. And when we are together, continually walking together and, and walking together, God is able to do immeasurably more all that we ask think or imagine. Can we just bow our heads? Hallelujah, Lord. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're, I don't know, maybe you're brand new to the faith. Maybe you, you've never made that commitment to the Lord. Again, I just want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to, to give your life over to Jesus. It's really, really simple. It's, I, I like to use the little term, A. it's as simple as A, B, C. Um, a, we acknowledge our need for a Savior. B, we believe that Jesus is the Savior. And C, we confess him as our Lord and Savior. And, and you know, if you don't know the Lord and you want him as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you, maybe where you're sitting, just to say this prayer after me. And we'll all say it together. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you and ask for your forgiveness. I invite you into my life and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Today I choose to follow you. Today I choose to believe you. Fill me with your presence. Create in me a clean heart and renew in me a steadfast spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I want to thank you, O oh God, for this sermon series, Lord God. And Father, we do pray we may not fully understand uh, the, the, the whole armor that we have just talked about, Lord God. But we do know that you will protect us. We do know, O oh God, that you are our shield and our very great reward. We do know, O oh God, that when we read your word, it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who may be struggling in different parts of their lives, Lord God, maybe in their mind, in their hearts, with wherever it may be, unforgiveness, Lord God, bitterness, Lord God, and uh, whatever that may be, Lord God, struggling to put off the old,
to put on the new. Father, we pray that your grace will be sufficient, Lord God, and that you will enable each one of us to equip ourselves with this armor. You will enable each one of us to be the men and women you have called us to be, to be the Christian soldiers you have called us to be. Father, we know there are many in this world that are dying that have never heard the Bible, heard of a Bible, heard the gospel message, and the only gospel message or Bible they will read is our lives. And Father, we pray that you will use us to be peace bringers, Lord God, that our feet will be fitted with the gospel shoes of peace, Lord God, and that each piece of that armor will be equipped and help us, Lord God, help us to use effectively the sword of the spirit that you've given us and placed in our hands that many may come to know you and that many enemies in our lives will be defeated. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.